Excess for Podcasts is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies, nostalgia, and pop culture, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, and make our way through the merry misadventures of Marvel's mutants. With me, as always, when we discuss the champions, is of course my amazing co-host, Kyle. Hey guys. Hey Kyle. So, buddy, it's been a, it's been a while since we've had one of these. Yeah, it's been a very long time, and I mean, we took that uh, detour through the... Uh all the backups, and I mean, we did we did do that seemingly ending of Champions, but we're back. We're back. We're back, and th- but there's great news. Yes. Guess what? What? What, Kyle? What? This is the real end of Champions. Oh, thank God! Oh, because let me tell you, buddy, if it wasn't, I was almost done anyway. This has been. One of the most challenging read-through experiences of my comic fandom. It's been so bad. And what's miraculous to me is, as we've discussed, so much of the side canon that finds its way into what we've discussed is actually properly collected with the series, which blows my mind. I understand that there were some big names on this book, and it was really cool getting to see John Byrne, right? I really loved seeing John Byrne art with you, and not just in Uncanny. But yeah. it, it, because John Byrne is such a master, I mean, you know, things he said recently aside, but he's such a master, and it was really great to see his work here, but I don't think that the art could even save it at all. It really couldn't. No, not at all. And it's also been eye-opening, because something that you and I had discussed early on was we had wanted to do this project together, this specific title, because you're a fan of Iceman, and you're a fan of, you know, X-Men, and you knew you were going to be doing X-Factor down the line. And ultimately, I think one of the things you've said to me is you were not a huge fan of some of the characterization we've seen of Angel, Iceman, or Beast. Well, I liked Beast, for the most part. That is true. Iceman... I definitely feel like this hurts my view of him a lot. I completely understand where you're coming from on that. And I think it's very telling that none of these stories are referenced in any of the things we still see with these characters, even though the X-Men counterparts are still referenced. Right. (sighs) Well, the best news is we don't have a single book called Champions this time. That's right. (laughs) Not a single book called Champions, yet this is somehow still technically the last episode of Champions. Today we're going to be covering Spectacular Spider-Man 17 and 18, The Incredible Hulk Annual number 7, Marvel 2-in-1 number 68, and then we're jumping ahead to Marvel 2-in-1 number 76. Now, we have a really unusual group of creators involved here. There is less logic to this group of creators than most groups, (laughs) while the champions saw many different writers and artists fill in throughout the 17-plus issues. These five will be no different. Spectacular Spider-Man's number 17 and 18 are by Bill Mantlo, John Buscema, and David Hunt. Incredible Hulk Annual number 7 is by Roger Stern, John Byrne, and Bob Layton. 
Marvel 2-in-1 number 68 is by Mark Grunewald and Ralph Macchio with Ron Wilson. And then Marvel 2-in-1 number 76 is by Tom DeFalco and David Michelin with Jerry Brigham and Cheek Stone. I've, I know a bunch of these, right? A bunch of these are really cool. A lot of these names, right? I know some of yep. them. However, some of them I'm kind of like, I okay, sure. I think I recognize one. <laughs> uh, we've definitely covered... Bill Mantlo, between the two yes. different shows before. Uh, however, Mark Grunewald is a big favorite of mine for his incredible Squadron Supreme. Squadron Supreme came out in 1986, so it was competing with the great year of the comic, which was The Dark Knight, uh, Watchmen, Daredevil Born Again. It competed with some huge events, so unfortunately Squadron Supreme does not see the same fervent love though the material is still seen a lot as it introduced Hyperion in his much more modern form, the Squadron, of course, having been Avengers characters from well before that. But I'm getting off topic talking about some people now. Kyle, I do believe you have for us some descriptions of these non-describable issues. Oh boy, um, I tried my best, so here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So in Spectacular Spider-Man 17 and 18... We have Peter Parker heading to L.A. to cover the dissolution of the Champions. But things are weird. Uh, The Champions building is falling apart, and all the Champions are gone except for Warren. A villain kind of returns, and we get to see what happened after the Sentinels were defeated. Incredible Hulk Annual Number 7, it's vacation time. Bobby gets jealous, Master Bold appears, and Hulk gets mistaken for Blob. I really don't have much <laughs> more to say about this one. Yeah, it. this one was, uh... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvel 2-in-1 number 68. The thing is trying to enjoy the disco. 70s. He hangs out with Warren, and they get kidnapped. Silly traps, a mini Magneto, and one of the least threatening villains ends in a theme park. Marvel 2-in-1 number 76. The thing is trying to enjoy the circus. Hmm. Seems to be a pattern here. Hypnosis... Bobby appears, and we get to fight some really bad circus bad guys. Uh, seriously, why do they keep making these circus stories? I'm going to be honest. I'm a huge fan of circus of crime stories, but this one was, like, a little a little too much, even for me. I, I definitely... Yeah. And it was too similar to 68, involving... De- yeah, it was too similar to 68 with the theme park. It, it did not... And they're totally different writers, so I don't know how this happened. <laughs> well, maybe we should just get to it. Let's get to it. Let's jump right in. There's no better place to start than Spectacular Spider-Man 17 and 18. I My notes here actually say there is no way this wasn't supposed to be the next issue of Champions and got repurposed somehow. I definitely agree. It's It definitely feels like 
a continuation of Champion 17. Truly, I was so glad that your summary described the fact that it tells us what happened after 17, because it was one of those things where I, I, you know, I understand that Spider-Man is the one who sold, right? Spider-Man is the, the big seller. He's the guy that kept the lights on at Marvel for 20, 30 years, and that's tremendous, and I'm really grateful for it. But Spider-Man does not belong in this story. It's, it's kind of like uh, he's there by accident. So many of the Marvel team-ups we've read have him there by accident, and this reads like one of the Marvel team-ups any day. Yep. Of course, Definitely. I actually need to be real with you. I made a mistake while reading this, and I had to go back and reread some older champions to really understand what was happening here. I had okay. completely forgotten that Rampage had been in 5 through 10, basically, and that yep. he was the guy that kept blowing up. Yes. And I had he to was keep... the guy that the uh, the Russians ended up turning against and blowing him up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had to keep rereading, and I couldn't figure out who it was. And then ultimately, that actually plays into the story. It so really <laughs> I want to just come up real quick with so the champions broke up following the Sentinel thing, and Ghost Rider quits. Which fine, he was barely in it, and nobody wanted him there anyway. Yep. And Dark Star leaves. Yeah. But I am positive the last issue of Champions was like, find out the fate of Darkstar. And she had been injured, and they were like, find out the fate of Darkstar. So much shit was generated and pushed toward Darkstar, and then she just literally leaves. She completely disappears. It's it's a complete waste of the character. Yeah, because there were not enough strong female presences in the Champions in the first place. It's an right. overwhelmingly testosterone-filled book. And Darkstar provided at least a little more relief from that. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that both she and Black Widow, who was the only other woman in the title, had previous experience as villains. I would have preferred maybe someone a little bit more actually good for the sake of being good and not, oh, I can't help it, I'm evil. And sort of damselly at times, and of course she gets a love interest right away. But the way she's written out is just so off the page. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing to me because I mean she wasn't the best character, but I kind of was interested in hopefully learning some more about her. Yeah, I mean, and she will pop up through the rest of Marvel canon. In fact, she will even appear during my much-vaunted Grant Morrison run of New X-Men, which is really oh. cool. But okay. she's not somebody who gets the most attention drawn to her. Uh, but what does need some attention drawn to it, can we for one second... So we've seen Angel punch a god in the face, right? You remember this? Angel yes. has punched gods in the face, and they were like, Ah, he hit me in the face! That... By the way, one of Angel's abilities, he has hollow bones. Right. I need to be clear about this. The man with hollow bones is punching gods in the face. Just yeah, imagine getting hummingbirded in the face. Yeah, he has brittle bones, man. Yeah. And meanwhile, then we wind up with a situation where the giant panes of glass are falling from the sky. And <laughs> Angel's like, Angel's like, oh, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> Like, <laughs> dude, 
you're you're evidently super strong, and you can fly. And I I don't know. I don't know. I also think it's insane that he's like this one building has all of my money tied up. Yeah, this this is. I don't know how he got into such a mess. He seems way too naive. It feels like they they made him to be super naive. Yeah, they made him unbelievably naive. Yeah. I completely agree. And you know what? That's not a word in my notes that I wish was. Angel comes off like a rube in this. Mm -hmm. And it's really disappointing. And my notes go on and on about how angry some of this makes me. But at the end of the day, this isn't even the plot of the issue. No, it's not. It's like something that comes back at the very end of the next one. And it's completely stupid. Yeah. So, okay. Already, at this point, Angel knows that the new Rampage is actually Iceman, but isn't telling Spidey and... It turns out Iceman was so upset that he went to visit the original Rampage in the hospital, and that Rampage, despite being in a hospital bed, had mind control gas on him, and you don't find out till page 7 of issue 18 that Angel already knew that New Rampage is Iceman. Right. It was... It was... That whole backstory of, of what happened, it made absolutely no sense, because... Everybody thought that he was in a coma. Right. It, that's part of what I think really was. I think six. I think seventeen and eighteen, Spectacular Spider-Man seventeen and eighteen, were originally Champions eighteen, and they broke it up to insert Spidey in. Yeah. That's really the best thing I've got right now. That's that's all I can come up with, because I, I if all I have are angry notes about the resolution. <laughs> All I have are angry notes about the resolution. It turns out the way that you cleanse Iceman of this mind control gas is with water. But if I may, what the fuck is ice made out of? Um, I don't know. Water? Evidently, it's uh, clearly in this universe, it's puppy dog dreams because. The guy is made of water, and water is still what cleanses him of the mind control gas? (laughs) No, no, um, oh, yeah, he's not mind control gassed anymore. Suit that he had been forced into was connected through, uh, mental control by Stuart Clark. And when Spidey threw something at uh, Stuart. It caused a a feedback in the system forcing the last uh, command that Stuart gave Iceman to get implanted into his brain. I'm blinking really wildly because (laughs) I hate this. I do too. I hate this. This is terrible. I can't even, you know, and it's one of those things like, I really, I understand when we look back on these stories, sometimes it was a a good idea badly or a bad idea well. There's a really amazing writer over at 
comic book resource is a guy named Brian Cronin. And Brian Cronin, over the years, has published dozens of encyclopedias worth of comic book legends and rumors. And he likes to do the same kind of things we do, where he talks about the way some of these things happened. He's very much about author theory and kind of looking behind the lens. And every now and then, I read something in one of his columns, whether it's Comics Should Be Good, Lying in the Gutters, uh, Comic Book Legends Revealed, whatever he's doing. And he's got a current column that's about establishing either unusual patterns or things that happened a few times. And one of the things he talks about in one of the articles is that there are a lot of runs of comics that had to be cleaned up by the first issue of the next writer. And oh. there's a lot more of those than we'd realize and how many times huge bits of continuity are decided by somebody on a whim trying to clean up the previous issue. For instance, Alan Moore's first issue on Swamp Thing is actually the issue before everybody thinks it is. He did an issue called Loose Ends that tied up all the loose ends of the previous writer before his honest-to-goodness first issue. Hmm. There's a lot of those. In fact, Madame Mask only becomes Madame Mask in the final panel of the previous writer who created her as Whitney Frost and as a love interest in his final panel of his final issue, she becomes Madame Mask and puts on the mask. It's the next writer's first issue that writes her out and keeps her permanently a villain forever. So, (laughs) so much of this stuff is like decided kind of by group consensus and sometimes you're just sort of like, okay, well, a lot of people came together and worked on this, and I guess that makes sense in that regard. And I try and I try and hand wave some of the dumber shit, but unfortunately, the same person wrote seventeen that wrote eighteen, and there's no one else to blame. Bill Mantlo. I just uh, don't get this two-parter. Yeah, yeah. It it's just a complete mess. I. I guess, I get it, he was trying to wrap up the story, but it just doesn't work. I agree. It feels like he's trying to wrap up the story, but part of what makes the story not wrap up well is how many people are missing. As a matter of fact, this entire episode is just Angel and Iceman. Exactly. Which is going to be at the heart of my argument at the end of the episode as to why the champions never worked. I've put together a thesis on why this is, and I can't wait to share it with you. I'm actually looking forward to that. Unfortunately, before we get to that, we have to talk about the Incredible Hulk Annual 7, which I think might actually take the award for longest worst issue we've had to read. Actually, before we do that, can I explain what was actually happening happening to this tower? Oh, Oh, for the love of God, please do. Oh, jeez. So, apparently, all of the issues that they've been having with not just the tower, but with their champion's car or whatever it is, um, the construction company that Warren had hired was trying to take all of his money. So, they used shoddy materials, shoddy equipment, and... Pretty much, once Angel realizes what's going on, he 
He uses his wings to blow, blow them out of the building. After, after they agree to rent the, the tower pretty much forever. So, um, so that's bad and dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because like, one of the things we definitely saw throughout the Champions is they have a lot of scientific equipment in there. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot, like, that, uh, okay. <laughs> a lot of scientific equipment that constantly turned on them. Yeah, but I I guess I just didn't think, like, shitty gypsum boards would do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this sheetrock is so weak, must be villainy. <laughs> I just don't think, I just don't know. <laughs> oh, my God, this is like the room of comics. <laughs> okay. So, shall we move on to Incredible Hulk Annual Seven? I don't want to. <laughs> I but... don't either, but we've got to do it. So, uh, I think the most important thing to start with <laughs> is <laughs> my notes for this issue say. So Bobby, Warren, Candy, and Mary Sue Bottoms have a double date half naked. Yep. That is my, <laughs> my, my first notes. note for this one is at least we get a sexy shot of Warren. You know what? That's literally in a bunch of my <laughs> notes. That Warren looks real hot now. Mm-hmm. Real, real hot. And it's Finally gained his secondary mutation. And I think <laughs> his secondary mutation. <laughs> I do think that the fact that Candy Southern is here is really great because mm-hmm. I do love Candy Southern and she is going to appear throughout comics. Something that happened to the X-Men is Chris Claremont, as well as the other writers in this time period. So uh, Wheezy Simonson and and the senti and and all of the people that came together to work on X-Men New Mutants X-Factor Excalibur they all had a love of a very rich side character library and everybody had multiple characters back over in the uncanny stories we're constantly talking about additional characters that just show up from time to time candy southern is angel's mainstay secondary character, along with a character named Cameron Hodge. Now, both of these characters would stop appearing in the 90s for different reasons. Cameron Hodge goes on to become one of the 90s most ridiculous supervillains, while Candy Southern is sort of pushed to the sidelines, because once Chris Claremont left the X-Men, they decided that nobody could have a love interest outside of the X-Men, and everybody in the X-Men just started to smush. So... Candy Southern just stops appearing so that Angel can reductively be put with Psylocke for no reason. Uh. Yeah, but it's nice to have her now. I like her now. She's fun. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're still talking about the Incredible Hulk annual and have not mentioned him once. Well, he doesn't show up for a while, doesn't he? No. Because the issue starts off with us at... Warren's, uh, is it New Mexico home? Yeah. Okay. In New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. Somewhere desert like where giant bird men, I guess, are safe. Yeah, apparently. Um, and you have Bobby, who 
apparently is now talking with him again. Because they do. Yep. And his date, Terry... Terry? Mary Sue Bottoms. Mary Sue Bottoms. Sorry. Um, They arrive, and Mary Sue is completely smitten with Warren, and Bobby gets super jealous. (sighs) The story of Bobby's life. You know, and what's funny is for years, people are going to point to all of these sorts of examples as proof of Bobby's latent homosexuality. And I honestly don't see it in this. I don't either. I think him being jealous of Warren, it you could maybe read it as like, oh, he likes Warren. But I, I don't think it comes off that way. I think it no. actually just does come off like second in command syndrome. And it's just so funny, because even if he's still in his snowball phase, the idea that Warren could take down Iceman in a fight is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It really is. I mean, Warren's just has his hollow bones and his wings. And what weapon did he have? Again, he had like a, a rocket launcher on the cover of X-Men number one, and on the cover of one of those champion issues, he definitely had a weapon of some kind that I can't remember now. He was borrowing Hercules's uh, mace. Mace, yes. So I mean, at best, he <laughs> at best he's well armed, right? But Iceman is, you know, Iceman is a more interesting character at this point. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I feel like most of Angel's stories through now involve him having money and access and wings, and yep. nothing else. Nothing else. We'll see that later on. Sure will. <laughs> so anyway, so, they're all hanging out and enjoying their vacation, and some creepy guy shows up, and he looks like a robot. But then he kind of turns into a sentinel. But he's not just a sentinel. He is Master Mold. Which I, again, this is one of those situations where I kind of sit back and say, I can't imagine Chris Claremont was okay with this. Yeah, this was such a weird decision to do. The fact that it's Master Mold and Stephen Lang picking up from the pages of Uncanny X-Men 100? I don't even know what to say. It feels so disingenuous to use this here. Exactly. That... That issue was such a big game changer for things, and then having him come back so soon in a different book is just... Why? Yeah, and it's such a second-tier book. It's so thin. I don't feel this is earned. I don't feel this follow-up being in... Incredible Hulk annual number seven. We could even joke and be like, oh, well, it's champions, kind of. But it's not champions. No, it's Annuals not. are always sort of the unwanted bastard issue of a run. Annuals are always these things that kind of sit outside of the canon a little bit, and they're not quite one of the numbered issues, so they frequently get left out of reprints and... To have this show back up in an annual really seems like a disservice to X-Men 99. Definitely. Definitely. I also, like, okay, so 
if I'm not mistaken, Hulk just kind of hangs on and goes into space to save the mutants for no reason. Yeah, I guess he's at a um, a facility trying to get healed, and Angel somehow knew about it. So Angel lures the uh, Master Molds over to Hulk, and then they all end up in space. You know, I'm just glad Wood God doesn't show up. Oh God, that would be horrible. Yeah, that would be a uh, that would be pretty horrible. But at least he doesn't no. hear. This right. is the Instead, second time we have that... Doctor Samson. Okay, I love Doc Samson. I really, really love Peter David's Doc Samson. I find mm-hmm. this Doc Samson kind of I don't want to say contentless, but there are so many characters that are just like, oh look, person. Oh look, person. There's so many words on every one of these pages. Like, this is back before comics really went the fewer words, more art route. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there were so many words on each page, and yet nobody says anything. I entirely agree. It's it's not quite to the point where the characters are narrating their actions, but it's still just a bunch of useless information. It really is, and so much of it is backtracked in the next sentence, or backtracked on the next page. Mm -hmm. I frequently accuse this era of comic book of being an era that was constantly trying to set something up to buy the page time. They needed to justify these long page counts, and it's a lot of back and forth, and it's, oh, we're going to try this. Oh, but it failed. Oh, but we'll try this. Oh, but that fails. And it's so much of what Kevo called, um, and Captain Britain, Kevo referred to it as these characters that are just unbeatable. And no matter what you do, it's they're unbeatable. And every time they find a way around it, nope, now they're unbeatable. And then we even saw that still showing up in MCU, uh, in HTML, which Kevo and I do, where we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. And specifically, the most notorious for it was Thor 2. Every time they found a way to defeat Malachith, he had another plan. Right. And it does start to feel like that here, where every time they get closer to saving the day, something buys a little bit more time. And in the end, the thing that saves the day, you're just kind of left going, really? I don't think Hulk should have survived the end of this issue. I don't either. I mean, I'm not familiar with Hulk from this era, but he's falling from orbit. How does somebody survive that? Absolutely, and I know that he's as strong as he is angry, and Wolverine regenerates from a drop of blood, and I get it, but this takes so much suspension of disbelief on my part. I don't like that Stephen Lang and Master Mold show up in this, and Stephen Lang's brain is uploaded into Master Mold, and that's part of it. And Master Mold is going to show back up in X-Men, and this is going to have been part of his canon. It just it's, leaves me... There's no quality control. No, not at all. Um, speaking of quality control, it's kind of explained that this isn't the real Master Mold. This is kind of a bargain bin Master Mold. So, oh my god. Maybe maybe the master mold that appears later on in canon isn't this one. 
So this is sort of like melon jello mold. Yeah. Yeah, this is terrible. And what's weird is that Angel and Iceman weren't even part of 97 to 99, the uncanny issues that they face off Stephen Lang in space. Right. He's not even a part of those. They're not, neither one of them are in those stories except for robots of them that the X-Men fight. So this is using an X-Men story and an X-Men villain and using X-Men that weren't even involved for the payoff. Right. And apparently they're aware of what happened after those events somehow. Because they told Master Mold that Stephen Lang's body was still alive. Which, I, wh- I, what? Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things. These comics were not written to be read again like this. They were not written to be read 40 years later, 50 years later. So, so many of these stories were produced with the goal of producing 32 pages this month. And everybody wanted to use different characters, and I guess if you're writing The Incredible Hulk, you need to find a way to make the annual a little bit different, a little bit bigger, and sure, here's a couple of characters you can throw in, Iceman, Angel, and why not use something popular from another title, like X-Men? But at the same time, this does not enhance the reading experience. Not at all. It, for my money, heavily detracts. It definitely detracts. And honestly, for a book that was supposed to be a Hulk book, it did not felt feel like a Hulk book at all. No, I feel like this I feel like this was more about Angel and Iceman than anyone. Exactly. Which is going to be a huge theme in my discussion of why Champions sucked. Because at all points, it was either a Hercules book or an Angel and Iceman book. And there was nothing in between. Exactly. So, if you're good to move on, I'm good to look at Marvel 2 and 168. Oh boy. Let's do it. Um, so my first note is, oh man, I can't with disco thing. Oh, <laughs> hi, Johnny. Yeah, the the whole disco thing is, um, yeah, it's bad. And yeah, I was also, hi, Johnny. Yeah. Hi, Johnny. Oh, okay. That's what we're doing. This issue, like, reeks of its era. Mm-hmm. And Marvel 2-in-1 was a title that they used as a another kind of Marvel team-up. It was an opportunity and an excuse to have Thing partner with people, because Thing was really popular. I guess I one time described Johnny Storm as kind of like the earlier Deadpool, you know, kind of like that guy that was constantly partnered with Spidey and was really popular and could sell books. But I guess it really was Thing and Johnny together kind of represented a powerhouse title character seller kind of thing. And I don't know. I don't think Thing works with as many characters as Spider-Man does. Spider-Man's a little bit more fun. Spider-Man's a little bit lighter. He's a little bit less drawn out out. Thing is always Thing. There is no disguising the Thing. There is no 
meeting the thing in plain clothes and not thinking he's a giant rock monster. <laughs> there's just... There's just that. Yeah. And... Uh, boy. I just don't even have positive things to say about this. I am notoriously positive on Arcade, but this whole... Anytime somebody buys something from Arcade, it's always pretty weak. It's always kind of dumb. Yep. Yep. So, I had the fewest lines of notes for this particular book. I mean, there's there's the moment where you see the Arcade A, um... And then there's all kinds of weird traps. Um, geez, I don't even know how much to say about this book. It's just a bunch yeah. of it's just a bunch of really weird traps that somehow they knew that Angel and Thing would be there. Like they're they're at a they're at a bar and. The bat, the men's room is a trap to transport them over to wherever they're going. And I don't even know what to say about it, because one of the things that I definitely brought up when we discussed the arcade issue of Marvel Team Up with Captain Britain was that so much of this is predicated on it all working out perfectly and everything yep. going exactly right. Yep. And here, it's the same thing. Totally. Don't it get me really wrong. Is. But Arcade is a genius. And he's a mad genius. And he has a garbage truck that he literally swallows the heroes with. <laughs> and then he traps them in a giant pinball machine. And everything about the layers of Arcade make me okay and shruggingly fine with Arcade being Arcade. But I can't give Toad the same hand wave. Surprise, it's Toad. Surprise, it's Toad. And Toad isn't even like, you know, when you think Wolverine, you think Sabretooth. And when you think... You know, Cable, you think Apocalypse. Like, you can think of Xavier, Magneto. You can come up with perfect matches right around now. You're getting into Gene Emma. But I don't think to myself, Angel, the Toad. Like, that's not my direct line of logic. Not at all. I honestly completely cut toad out of my memory because he's so inconsequential he really is he's magneto's lackey at best yeah and for him here to try and hold this story down it's just it's really weak it's, and that's super it's... weak because you know what his his what the ending is he's defeated by crippling debt yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I, yeah. I just... I can't. So, I'm a really big fan of the Powerpuff Girls. I think the Powerpuff Girls is one of the funniest, best-made cartoons ever. And I think the classic series had a lot of phenomenal material in it. 
One of my favorite episodes is, of course, The Beat Alls. Everybody should check this episode out. In it, all of the Powerpuff Girls' main enemies come together to form a uh, supergroup called The Beat Alls. And after a few weeks of beating the Powerpuff Girls limitlessly, Mojo Jojo finds a girlfriend, Moko Jono. <laughs> and she's actually just a screaming howler monkey. <laughs> And she was planted there to break up the beat-alls. And everybody blames Moko Jono for breaking up the beat-alls. We are talking about brilliant comic gold here. It's really that funny. That's Anyway, so there's an episode in particular where it's the Powerpuff Girls' birthday. And from prison, all of the bad guys, Fuzzy Lumpkins, Princess him, Mojo Jojo, send things to attack them. And everybody sends all of this crazy shit, and they defeat all of it. And then finally, him, who, if you don't know who him is, uh, him is Satan with lobster claws, dressed as Angel from Rent. Him sends them a pinata full of candy. And when they bust open the candy, and the Powerpuff Girls start eating it, all the villains are like, ah ha ha, so what's this gonna do? And him's just like, it's just candy. And they're like, what? The villains are all really confused. What do you mean it's just candy? And him is like, my plan is brilliant. I gave them tooth decay. (laughs) That is what I feel about this defeat of Toad. Toad is defeated by tooth decay. Yeah. If you guys can get your hands on it, I highly recommend the original run of the Powerpuff Girls. There was a limited edition box set at one point that had the first six seasons on, like, 12 discs or something. I have it. It's, I think it's really worth it. I do think Powerpuff Girls is pretty much every episode is 20 minutes of really funny. I can't speak to the new one. I unfortunately haven't given the new one a chance. And then I was kind of thrown off by some of the less than stellar, socially unconscious stuff that they did that I wasn't as thrilled with, but I will eventually give it a try for no other reason. It is a franchise that I do believe in. I think anytime we see young women get more role models that kind of represent different aspects of ways to be whoever you want, you know, Buttercup is an ass kicker and she doesn't apologize for it. Bubbles is adorable and harmless and Blossom is strong and a leader. And, you know, Buttercup is definitely coded male, and there's nothing wrong with a young woman having another female hero to look up to like that. So I'm going to give the new one a chance, and I do recommend that everybody check out at least the Beat Alls, because it is miraculously funny. When I say she's actually just a screaming howler monkey, I mean literally Mojo Jojo can speak intelligently, and Moko Jono literally just screeches like, like an animal the entire time. <laughs> So, uh, sorry if anybody out there is a big fan of Double Fantasy or anything. So, <laughs> anyway. So, anyway. Um, so, pretty much, uh, <laughs> after Toad pretty much gives up because he realizes that he's in debt, Angel kind of sympathizes with him and convinces him to turn this whole death trap into an amusement park. Which, why would you not convince him to turn himself into the authorities because he's a wanted terrorist? This is well before the comics are comfortable using the term domestic terrorist. Mm -hmm. But that is what we're discussing here. Yeah. Instead, they put him in charge of a place that caters to children. 
yeah, that's... Oh, thank goodness. We're all safe now. Yeah. Oh my god. One of the things that these issues really do suffer from is a need to soften the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Which is always a danger with these stories. They don't really want to lean into mass-murdering psychopath outside of Magneto, Dr. Doom. For the most part, they want these villains to be people that when they're defeated, we can kind of ha-ha-ha about. But at the same time, that so reduces the efficacy of the storytelling, because now it feels like, well, if Toad's not such a big threat that he should be locked in jail, he's just sort of a harmless idiot. And that's all I really have to say about that before we jump into the last one. <laughs> I yeah, I'm, like I'm a really big Circus of Crime fan. I like this motif. I think it's one of the best issues of Uncanny when Mesmero turns the X-Men into a circus. Jason that one kind of cool. Yeah. Jason Aaron does a really beautiful tribute to it in Wolverine and the X-Men that I love very much. And I really enjoy the idea of the X-Men as a circus because they are, you know, different. They're uncanny, they're hated and feared, and they're freaks. And I love, love playing into those tropes and stereotypes to break out of them and, and show the humanity of the team. This fails to do that on every level. This is the most surface read. Completely every level. Other than the fact that we get an appearance from Bill Foster... Yeah, this is... There is nothing about this. So, he has a different name now? Now he's Giant Man instead of Black Goliath. Right. And apparently he's dying. Yes. And he he got poisoned in a crossover, not even his book. So, maybe his book got canceled? Unfortunately, that was what happened to most Black-led titles in the 70s at Marvel. They did not last very long. The Black Panther is on, like, his... I mean, everybody is on their ninth or 10th volume now. But Black Panther was on his, like, 6th or 7th volume way earlier than anybody else. Same with Punisher. Punisher had a lot of short runs canceled, miniseries canceled. So, Black Goliath, Bill Foster, other than being played really well in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and... You know, a character that was given depth and complexity. I wish he hadn't, you know, been a little devious. But other than that, Bill Foster is a character I really love, and I think he's really great. And I was happy to see him in the movie, and he just gets such a short shake. He really does. They even try, because he does seem really good and genuine here, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know. One of the things that I comment on in my notes is Iceman pictures the X-Men, not the champions. So this is a year after the final champion's appearance. I'm kind of giggling about it because if you think about it, Iceman has not appeared with the X-Men since he last appeared with the champions. But when Iceman pictures things, he pictures the X-Men, not the champions. So... They're literally trying to already pretend this book and this era never happened. Yeah, um, maybe that's a good thing. Oh, I sure think it is, because once again, here, what we're discussing is we're discussing an appearance of Iceman, and for that matter, Bill Foster, which is great, but Bill Foster never really did become a champion. 
at no, this it, point, it's kind of baffling to me because, for the record, the Spider-Man issues do get collected with champions all the time because it's a loose end tie-up to the champions. These two two-in-one issues do not get the same respect. They do not get the same love. And it's because they're completely inconsequential, not just to Iceman and Angel stories, but to everybody involved story. The next time we see Toad, he is already back to being just sort of a generic villain. The next time you see the Circus of Crime, they're just the Circus of Crime again. There's nothing that happens in these two two-in-one issues that accomplishes anything. No character moves forward. Nothing progresses. Right. I don't really have anything left on these. On these, do you have more more meat here? Um. I mean, the only thing that I have to say about this is that we don't have anything more. This, the, it was just a completely inconsequential ep- uh, issue. You have circus stuff and hypnosis and a guy named Cannonball who isn't actually Cannonball. That is a funny thing you should mention. There are a number of characters like that. There's a Mirage before Danny Moonstar's Mirage. There's a Dazzler before Dazzler. There's a number of sort of generic character names that had to get reused because they were wasted on nobodies. (laughs) And Claremont wasn't going to let that happen. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of glad. Yeah, because, you know, as we will get to, Cannonball is... <laughs> but this is <laughs> just one of those... It's just one of those stories where I just can't bring myself to care. Yeah, this this just... It it was boring. Um, nothing much really happens other than we learn that Giant Man is dying and he's sad about it. Yeah, and you know what? I got to assume that that's going to get followed up somewhere else, and he's actually going to get to have a personality about it. I hope so. Because that probably won't show up in any of our reading. No, it won't, as this is the last issue that we're going to cover of the champions. We have a little bit more champions that we're going to sneak in. Not too, too much. Just a couple of solo stories from... No, 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 but they're, they're good solo stories. They're from Marvel Treasury Edition, and it's an Iceman story from a Bizarre Adventures. It's a couple of good things. Toward the end of the lead-up to the Dark Phoenix Saga, we're going to have a kind of goodbye to this era of X-Men episode featuring Jonah, Kyle, and myself, featuring about a 100 pages of short stories that were all released in this time. Stories that cover Nightcrawler, and Beast, and Angel, and Iceman, and just little stories here and there. They are nowhere involved with the Champions line, but we would be remiss to not mention these highly superior stories that were released around the same time by the X office. The stories we'll be discussing are all available in the omnibus editions of the X-Men comics, so Uncanny X-Men Omnibus Volume 1 and Uncanny X-Men Omnibus Volume 2. I know that currently two and three are out of print, and one was just put back in print in a new edition. So some of the stories will be easy to get your hands on, some of them a little bit tougher. But they are the stories that Marvel kind of used to say, okay, no, these are X-Men characters again. These are X-Men characters again. Claremont has reclaimed them. 
And they're, they're much better. They're much better. And that'll be a fun way to say goodbye to this era before we start the Dark Phoenix saga and everything changes because the X-Men swap their one white woman for a different one white woman. <laughs> oh boy. I'm actually oh boy. kind of looking forward to that. Oh, it's actually really good stories, so I'm really excited to hear that. However, I do believe this brings us to the end of of the champions. Yes. Thank you. So, oh, thank goodness is right. I have a theory on why the champions never worked. We've covered that. we've covered 25 issues. We covered the champions 1 through 15, Marvel Villains Team Up 14, Champion 16, Iron Man Annual 4, Avengers 163, Champion 17, and then today we covered Spectacular Spider-Man 1718, Incredible Hulk Annual 7, and Marvel 2-in-1, 68, and 76. We've covered 25 issues with the Champions. 8 out of 25 primarily focused on Hercules. 11 out of 25 featured or focused directly on the X-Men. That's crazy. That means Ghost Rider, who was a member of this team, was never focused on. The one arc that was supposed to be, the four issues that were supposed to be about Black Widow were more about Rampage and Darkstar. So the villains... And Ivan, absolutely. The villains and the supporting characters took the center stage for what was meant to be Black Widow's big arc. The only other time Black Widow got any legitimate spotlight was in the mind control issue, which was another Hercules-centric issue. And with all of these different factors playing in, they were either fighting gods or they were fighting mutant battles. There was no point at which the champions wasn't the weaker Avengers book starring off-brand Thor, or the weaker mutant book starring cast-off X-Men. Champions was never given a chance to establish an identity. Champions was always used to help other books stay afloat and keep other characters in your mind. At the end of the day, it's not hard to figure out why Champions was cancelled after 17 issues, as well as some of the books it was tied into got cancelled early as well, such as Villains Team Up. Oof. I really think the thing that held back Champions was trying to make a supergroup. And that's my theory on why Champions always sucked. Champions did always suck. They, they just never wanted to work together. Really? In fact, that's one of our biggest... One of the biggest jokes we made, but it really wasn't much of a joke, was there was no point to Ghost Rider being on this team. They mentioned something that really made a lot of sense. In Spider-Man 17, they, during the flashback, Ghost Riders, I think Ghost Rider and Black Widow were saying that their whole purpose was to... Uh, champion the the little man, but they spent all of their time defending themselves. They couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't do their what they had set out to do. And I wonder how much of that is because the writing staff changed nonstop. So, 
Yeah. The first three are by Tony Isabella. Then Chris Claremont subbed in for a one and done on issue four. Then five, six, I believe, are started by Tony Isabella, but I believe Bill Mantlo takes over during seven through ten. And that's why that's disjointed. Then you jump around a couple of other books and there's all these tie-ins and Darkstar kind of joins the team, but kind of doesn't. The book is always searching for an identity for so long. They never have a chance to save anybody. You know, it's really interesting that you pointed out that the book is supposed to be about championing the little guy. And then they spend all of the time defending themselves because you're absolutely right. The once or twice, like a little man comes along and is like, please help me. They're quickly, quickly shown that the person's only in trouble because of one of them. Right. It's a huge shame. It's it's a waste of the characters. And honestly, I think that the lack of cohesive writing really, uh, really ruined it for this this group. I completely agree. I don't think there's any way around that argument that they were meant to champion the little guy, but at the end of the day, all they ever did was defend themselves from their own pasts. It winds up being really flat, and it doesn't... I don't know. It's one of those things where I think if John Byrne hadn't done five issues, and I think if some of the character moments didn't get referenced later on, like Dark Star existing at all. I don't think we would still be talking about this book. I don't think this book would still be in print. One of the things Definitely. that I think is really interesting is whereas like Uncanny X-Men is collected in omnibus edition, the only issues of this collected in omnibus edition are the John Byrne issues in a Marvel Universe by John Byrne edition. Marvel's done a couple of these, John Byrne, Frank Miller, Chris Claremont, where they take the big stuff that's not the famous stuff and they put it all in one or two omnibuy and they just sell that real quick. So inexplicably Captain Britain one through 10 is now presented an omnibus edition, which doesn't actually represent a whole story arc. It's just the 10 issues by Chris Claremont oh, champions 11 through 15 are collected in John Byrne Marvel universe. So Five or six random issues of this series are in an omnibus edition. While we've discussed that there's a complete collection that does collect all of it in paperback, this is not a book that I feel Marvel can't wait to trot out. Marvel is not aching for you to find old copies of the Champions and discover how great it is. Uh, I am going to have to pass on that, thank you. Yeah, because it's just not... It's just not there. No. But, but, what is there but, is we had a lot of fun. Yes, we did. Um, we were able to make the most out of some of these excruciating stories. Um, I'm glad that I got to read this, and I'm looking forward to seeing where things go from here. I'm looking forward to it as well. I think the thing I'm looking forward to most is seeing how much or how little of this material winds up referenced when we start covering the new Defenders. Mm. While they will take some time off, especially around the Dark Phoenix saga, 
Angel, Iceman, and Beast will all find themselves reunited with a team called the New Defenders. The New Defenders characters will also appear over in Dazzler. Kyle will be covering the New Defenders and Dazzler with me, in part because, well, Dazzler dates Angel and Beast at different points in her series, and it seemed just insane to not cover them together. But yeah, at the same I, time... Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not it, much... Neither one is much better. Oh. And uh, New Defenders has some really cool eras, but New Defenders is definitely a niche book. And we'll get all into that. So, Kyle, before we run like fuck the other way, <laughs> do you have any parting words or uh, any last goodbyes to make to the champions? Oh my, I am... I will not miss you at all, champions. I am sorry. <laughs> you know, I gotta agree. I Let's... love... <laughs> you go. Let's put it in our past and not look back. I completely agree. One of the things about this series that was troubling for me was there were so many stories here that I was either excited to read for the first time or reread just to experience and see maybe I had the wrong idea or maybe just it's better than I thought. And what I have found with each one of these is, yes, I hate this. This is not good. This is bad. No one should read this. Jeez. Well, shall we end this? I think there is nothing left to do but to say goodbye to the champions. <laughs> Kyle, until we read those short stories to close out Volume 1 of X's for Podcast, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. As always, you can check me out on some other shows here on the Cage Club Network, like mcu.html, where my husband Kevo and I take apart the Marvel Cinematic Universe, looking for inclusion, quality, and fun. Also, don't forget to check out Now and Again, the show that got me started with this crazy network, where me and my childhood best friend Chris take a look at the Now That's What I Call Music series, one at a time. And if you're enjoying the things we're making here, check out the Cage Club Patreon and check out some of their other amazing shows. Joey and Mike are killing it. You can also find my hyper-inclusive, diverse comic, Kid Riot, at KidRiotComics.com, where a brand new issue has just gone up. Please check out Riot Squad 7, Fall Chill. We're very excited about it. And thank you all for helping support the Kickstarter that just got funded. Really excited to be part of that. And if you want to catch pictures of me with very few clothes on, go check out my Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Sometimes I put up comic stuff. Sometimes I put up music. But mostly I'm posing. And yeah. So until next time, everybody, keep those X genes in check. Till next time. <laughs>